A quick disclaimer that we are not researchers and we may have missed information in doing this research, so if there is something we didn't touch on, please let us know. Hello and welcome to Randy's Roundtable. And I am your host, Randy, she, her, bisexual. This month is Pride Month, so we're going to change it up a little bit and how we do things this month. We're going to try for an episode each week discussing film, TV, comics, and manga, and often the often queer aspects of them. So join us for some queer hijinks while we travel through a rainbow of time. Was that too much? Maybe. Ah, who cares? All right, nerds, can you take a moment to introduce yourselves? And if you feel up to it, how do you identify? All right. Uh... My name is Emma, and my pronouns are she, her. Hey, I'm Cassie, and I identify as a gender-fluid pansexual. I don't have any preferred pronouns, as I used to be called, like, anything from the sun, so... I just exist, is kind of what it boils down to at this moment. I'm still figuring things out, but for now, it works. Hello, I'm Stephanie, and I am on the Ace A-Row train, so I don't have time for all that nonsense. Hi, I'm Eva, and I use she-her pronouns, and I am bi. Well, this certainly is an ugly transition, but maybe that's befitting of the time we're going back to. Before the 20s, queerness in film, mind you, this is centered on American media, was not common. Sometimes you just had to squint, though not as much as you did between the 30s and 60s when the Hayes Code came about. For the Hayes Code, which was also known as the Motion Picture Code, it was a set of moral guidelines that was put forth to sort of keep Hollywood safe and presentable. Uh, It was put forward by a Presbyterian elder and former head of the Republican Committee, uh, Will H. Hayes. Uh, Hayes was brought in as sort of a PR uh, due to the film industry floundering because of raucous behaviors of celebrities involving drugs, sex, and crime at the time. Uh, The scandals at that time was making studios worried because it was messing with their image that they wanted to present and worried that the federal involvement would step in to take reins and create their own brand of censorship. So they were hoping to uh, sort of cut that off at the helm. So the Hayes Code uh, covered all their bases and uh, hoped to offend no one, uh, but like they clearly had their own biases putting into that with the standards that they modeled and put forth. Needless to say, Hayes definitely did a good job of sticking to his values and his own beliefs when it came to enforcing the code. Now, the code itself started out more or less as a list of do's and don'ts to try and keep federal regulation at bay. It maintained that there would always be, amongst other things, upstanding Christian and family values, no sexual perversion, gays ain't allowed here, The good guys always won, the bad guys always lost. They cannot promote bad values like drugs, sex, guns. There would be 
no swearing or other offensive language, and there would be no scary interracial relationships. And this all kept Hollywood in the good graces of the powerful religious and political figures at the time, as well as regaining the trust of the audience members who had started to doubt and worry about the direction Hollywood was taking. So the 20s was a moral quagmire, and in the early 30s came the Legion of Decency. Really, uh, this isn't really some comic book supervillain group like you would expect. Rather, it was just a group of members from the Roman Catholic Church that created their own rating system. They had a pledge that they wouldn't see morally bad movies, um, and under that rating system was like morally unquestionable, sorry, morally, morally unobjectable, uh, morally <laughs> objectable, and condemned. So basically, it was better to self-censor than have the government step in and take over everything. And so started the MPPC. But even that didn't stop creators from rolling their eyes about this. And so came the Production Code Administration. The PCA was led by Joseph Bede, who led the way to making a requirement for movies to be given a stamp of approval. In other words, following the moral guidelines set up by the Hayes Code, the Breen Office made it so all movies needed that seal, and the old PCA logo, the old PCA logo, to say this movie was morally correct, as the Hayes Code says, and made it so all movies, so the office approved all movies. He could adjust movies as needed to fit the code. So how did creators get around this code? By gate-coding or queer-coding characters, insinuating through the use of stereotypes and innuendos like men appearing fashionable, dainty, emotional, dramatic, weak, and women being larger, stronger, stepping out of fashion gender norms, and bottling their emotions. Things that just weren't quote-unquote normal. As such, we got a slew of tragic gay stories, queerness for easy laughs, and more obvious, it became a shorthand for villainy. Children's Hour was a coded lesbian love story where one woman dies, which this may have been the start of the bury your gays trope, and Maltese Fal Falcon, where his effeminate nature equals being bad. But the code was not built to last. As creators curved their way around the code in the PCA, they were able to write and it in subtext, and foreign films helped to push for such equal treatments with the likes of Anders Als de Arden, Ander, Anderen, excuse my pronunciation there, a German film of two gay men as the protagonists. And by the 60s, it was basically a joke. It was abandoned in 1968, turning to the rating system we have today, GMRX, or well, a transition into the version we have today, G, PG, PG-13, R, and NC-17. But just because the gay, the, the gay code, the Hayes code, was <laughs> no longer in effect, it, it didn't mean that the gays just filled the screens. Queer coding started tropes and stereotypes that continues into present media today. Albeit there have been a smattering that I've like, shown through of what many say is good representation, such as Desert Hearts, The Queen, Boy in the Band, The Celluloid Closet, Tangerine, Pariah, Moonlight... And while studios have and still have the ability to add queer characters, they often don't, so as not to risk turning off the audiences or advertisers, you know? And so, here comes queer baiting, wherein they capture the queer audience with implied promises, but they don't exactly follow through. 
Sorry. And the transition into queerbaiting, like, came from the realization that they could get the fan communities to do the work for them. Like, some of that baiting does stem from international markets, such as China or Russia, like, where they can, where they don't want to overtly offend the, that market and risk not being able to export to it. But that we don't want to solely put the blame on that and not not recognize the homophobia like internally here at America like because there is a large portion of that coming from within like just within the uh, industry itself like that does not want that because of that lack of like because of the lack of desire to push forward for that we end up with we end up with a lot of queer coding that leads to queer baiting. And there is a difference between the two because queer coding can be used uh, and was more often used as a signifier that a character was meant to be a joke or villainous, which is why so many Disney villains read as queer. And queer baiting is something that's used to more draw in a certain audience without actually ever intending to follow through, which is something like something like Elsa where she's not given a love interest so they can, so like she's drawing in a huge queer fan base because a lot of her story re like reads with undertones of coming out yeah and so it's easy to put a spotlight on on especially Disney characters since it's had a such such a influence for generations and for all of us especially as we're big fans of the nerdum um especially their pro their projects with Marvel they're just so much fun, but can you guys think of any other fandoms or ships that have, have baited you? Uh, Destiel. God, that, <laughs> like, God, that just happened last year, but I don't, I think one of my favorite memes was the Destiel confession and the phrase homophobically canon. <laughs> oh, also, like, uh, being gay sends you to super hell, like, is ob also another one. Send your gays to super hell. But, like, just... Because mm. a lot of it started from, like, just the lack of female characters in that show. And Castiel didn't come on until, like, season three. So, first, like, one of the most popular ships on that show was an incestuous ship, like, between Sam and Dean. Like, uh, fortunately, I did not get into the show until well after that. Then Castiel was introduced and like the fandom like descended upon that boy. Uh, <laughs> That's but, so true. Yeah. Like if you ever watch that show, you can tell like the interactions between Castiel and Dean, if Castiel were played by a female person, like female actor, because the character is meant to be a angel inhabiting a human body. So if in theory, the angel had chosen a human host, a female human host, uh, then it, like, but the point is, like, if the character had been female, the interactions would have been clearly meant to be read as romantic. But, yeah, like, in the end, the result is it comes through as queerbaiting. And then November 2020 happened, coincidentally, the night of the presidential election. <laughs> so... <laughs> God, that was a fucking trip of a, like, that whole sequence of events was a trip. God, that whole week was really just a real 
real wild ride on the internet. But uh, so Cassiel can actually confesses that he's in love with Dean immediately gets dragged to angel hell. Dean never says anything <laughs> back. And then by the finale has more or less forgotten that Cassiel exists and then dies by being impaled on a nail. Yeah. By a, by a vampire juggalo. <laughs> it was it was intense. That's one way to go. Also, like throughout the whole seasons of Supernatural, it's things that Dean says and does, but more so like what he says and things that he's gone oh. and done um, in conversations about his past really point to him being queer. And yeah, so and it's it, it's an easy read. Yeah, and it's. You don't know how much of it was intentional on the part of the writers, at least at first, because it can be like um, maybe they for one of the ones that people point to a lot is the purgatory line. Like uh, they make a reference to purgatory and Dean says, oh, like the one in Miami. And that's a gay bar. Uh, but it could be uh, they just wanted to make a joke and from Google, like maybe they just found a bar named purgatory and a location and they just. Either didn't know it was at a gay bar or ch- decided to ignore it for the sake of the joke to land. Or, um, like, but it definitely became a lot more overt as the season went on and it became clear that, like, that was because that was a good portion of what was keeping the show relevant was the fans I f- that was into that, I feel. Like, because that I was the right. most vocal portion of the fan base. And yep. obviously, I don't want to say those were the only fans of the show, because they weren't. Like, there were still people who were into it for the story. God knows why. So what is what it ultimately comes down to is it feels more like Dean feels more and more repressed as the show goes on, because the writers like to feed in and toss scraps to that portion of the fan base without ever actually giving anything definitive to them and at the same time like they like to toss little jokes between him and castiel so that they can say oh it wasn't intentional or oh it was just a joke but they can still keep the interest of that portion of the fan base so that their numbers don't drop off and they can keep going on as long as they did yeah yeah, it's often very much so about how long they can keep all audiences happy because they don't want to turn off certain audiences at, because if they turned off too many people from watching it, they'd lose that revenue, which would lose them their show usually, which is just disappointing. Yeah. I've got a couple, but the thing is, it's kind of hard to discern whether or not I just had my, like, shipper goggles on, or if it was actually, <laughs> like, actual queer baiting. So I would like your oh, guys' sure. takes on this as well. Uh, the yeah. first up is Supercore, or um, Lena and Supergirl from... Yeah, yes. Supergirl, yeah. Yeah. It, I was going to talk about that one, too. That one is actually oh, pretty agreed upon as queer baiting from the fandom, from what I've seen. Like, to be fair, and it might just be me, but I feel like Katie McGrath just generally gives off lesbian vibes <laughs> whenever she does acting. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's the one that I got. Um, and maybe it's just more of my wishful thinking for this ship, um, or this couple, I should, um, but Poe and Finn. 
Oh, yeah. From Star Wars. They in the first movie. It's very light, but I can't tell if it's intentionally or if, you know, sorry, I cut you off, Emma. I feel like it was more queer baiting in the promotional materials because they definitely drew back on it in the movies themselves. So I feel like the subtext in the first movie was definitely unintentional and they worked hard to erase that in the second and third or eighth and ninth movie, if you want to do the whole, including the whole set thing. But they definitely played it up in the promotional materials. And I don't know how much of that was just John Boyega and Oscar Isaac actually being open to it. And how much was Disney courting that audience with no intention of following through. That's true. I know that uh, Oscar Isaac has said that with all the chemistry there that he kind of played it, played it up like that a little bit in interviews. Yeah. So like they had really good chemistry, so that could be why it just reads so well as being them being queer. But yeah, that's definitely what a pair that I thought initially was like going to become the first Star Wars gay ship, and I was like, huh. I mean, it's probably not the first gay ship out there, but like, like literally, you know, if Disney was so willing to be open about what characters are queer or not. Instead, we have Grand Moff Tarkin and his twink. Oh, <laughs> Christ. oh God. <laughs> Wait, who's the twink? Hold on. What am I missing? Okay, like, it, there's a series, there's like a short story collection that was published, which, as I understand it, all the short stories are supposed to be canon, where a, like, trooper had an affair with an unnamed high-ranking official who was hinted to be Grand Moff Tarkin. I'm looking this up. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of brief. (laughs) Yeah. The book is uh, from a different person, from a certain point of view. That's it. Like it's a series of, short stories told from the perspective of side characters. Hmm. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't know how to add to that because I barely know anything about Tarkin. Honestly, I don't know much about the Star Wars fandom as a whole. Every now and then I'll pick up a Star Wars comic and be like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. I like the story. I had one more. I had one more and I can't... See, I didn't watch all the way through the end of the show so I don't actually know if this couple happened or if left off as subtext and just kind of like canonically but not really canonically stated that they were uh confirmed as a couple but Xena and Gabrielle from Xena Warrior Princess did they get did they officially get together I just I know they had a couple of um um very like obviously romantic scenes together but i think it's kind of more uh they couldn't officially declare them a couple because at the time but uh, it was played very uh romantically between them yes yeah it's definitely agree with that because it was very much so given the time they couldn't say yes they're they're queer 
I definitely haven't read anything about whether or not the actors or the crew who worked on the film or the show uh, have said whether or not that, yeah, they were totally queer or not, but they might have. And like something to keep in mind is uh, there is a difference between queer coding and having to like downplay the queer aspects due to censorship because mm-hmm. there, there's a show called The Untamed. Uh, it is based off a queer novel, a romance novel. Uh, I'm not going to attempt to say the name because I've never heard it said out loud. Uh, but it's basically Grandmaster of Demon Cultivation is the translation or something. But okay. <laughs> in the novel, it's explicitly a queer romance. But in the show it's just a very intense friendship and that's because mm. of it's a chinese show and chinese the untamed you're talking about the untamed the, yeah i just yeah I, yeah like <laughs> pay attention it, eva. eva i literally said the name oh i'm sorry i missed it i missed it um in the beginning because i i just focused on the demonic cultivation part yeah yeah we Shen and lanchan yeah like because of chinese laws laws of homosexuality and censorship laws like there's no way they could uh be explicit with the romance but they play like they play it up in a way that if the show were american like it would read very queer baity but like due to the context around it like it Mm -hmm. does read as very legitimate and uh, like Honest is not the word I'm trying to think of. Uh, sincere, that's the word. Like, does read as okay. very sincere. Yeah, I've heard of Untamed, but I haven't watched it myself. It's very pretty men. Yes, <laughs> it is on Netflix. I would recommend you check it out. It's a little bit... The, but, translation, uh, the translations and the subtitles aren't always the best. But... Nope. <laughs> that happens. That happens. That happens. Yeah, depending on when these shows or films were released really plays a plays a part of whether or not the queerness was super censored or whether or not it was super coded. And if they can be super open with those characters or not. And I think in, in newer times from like the 2010s and on uh, is a pretty good time for most most films and everything be super open about that. And there have been movies in between that have been very much so like, yes, these characters are queer. And that's been great. We've had some really good representation come out of the framework that has been set by um, politics and censorship standards. I know that um, there was... There was one that, while there were queer characters in it, and I don't know if maybe I've got got my shipper goggles on or not. I like that word, Eva. <laughs> um, so there were queer couple, queer characters in this show, but one of one of the characters interacting with the main character seemed to me like it was. Like, they were kind of queer baiting them. But maybe this happened before um, the queer characters happened? I don't know. Do you guys do you guys remember Buffy, the vampire slayer? Yeah. Yes. I yeah, didn't yeah. watch it, but I definitely heard about some of the queer baiting that was going on in that show. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm thinking of Buffy and Faith. 
And as as we all know, Willow is the main queer character um, in the show. Remember, you get two lesbians and they are together. And they are. But if memory serves me right, her girlfriend does die in the end. I can't. I can't remember. Oh my gosh! Does her girlfriend your gaze. I think she does. Let me. Uh, Tara did die. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, I'm pretty sure Tara dies in the end. So like, it was left all alone, of course. Um, but in the show, Buffy and Faith, I, they were they were such enemies to to best friends to enemies and back and forth all the time. And I was just like, this is. This feels very gay in a show that has gay characters, but we can't have the main protagonist be gay or bisexual or any sort of queerness. Do you think Joss Whedon knew bisexuality existed? Eh, I think that's pushing it. <laughs> it's Joss Whedon. What do you expect? Uh, I really liked the characters for Buffy and Faith, and I thought they would have been a really interesting couple to watch throughout the show, but obviously that was not a thing and. They never, they never became a thing whatsoever. Maybe Buffy in the was... reboot, like Catradora. Right? Maybe, maybe. Ooh. It kind, it kind of plays into um, the first, the first times that I saw queerness portrayed in like TV or film. Buffy was definitely one of those, one of those shows that I absolutely, I still love to this day, and it was one of the first. Uh, experiences of queerness that I saw on film. Um, and then, like, a movie that I saw when I was younger that had that had queerness as the central theme would have been The Birdcage with Robin Williams. I've never actually watched that movie. Like, I've read up on it, but I've never actually watched it. I keep meaning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought it was really cute and, and funny and, and uh, sweet. I... I haven't really read up on like the how people took that movie, um, how people if, if whether or not the queer community uh, liked that movie or not. So I don't I don't know what what the community at large really thinks about that movie. I thought it was really cute. Yeah, it was just one of the first movies that I saw that had queerness as its central theme, and so I thought that was really interesting when I was younger. Albeit like. Even though I saw these things, I didn't really uh, comprehend. Yeah, I didn't really comprehend what that meant, and I didn't really understand understand myself until much later in life, until college and stuff. But like, I wish I saw more of it. I guess so. You guys want me to expose myself right now? So long as we're talking about childhood exposures to queerness? Do it. Yeah. yeah. So, if you are comfortable with it. So do you remember the uh, American dub of Sailor Moon? How they uh, made uh, Sailor Saturn and Uranus cousins? Even though yeah. they were girlfriends in the original adaptation. Yes. But everyone saw yep. right through that. Mm-hmm. It's Not- hard to cover up. They were very blatant, like with the animation, and so it's very hard to find like a justifiable uh, explanation. And making it familial is making it just more incestuous, <laughs> which is just like going in the other direction. My 
I accept things at face value very easily, so I was just like, okay, I guess they're cousins. And I got very confused when I went in to read some Sailor Moon fan fiction. Um, hmm. Yeah, that'll that'll happen. Like eventually, I figured it out. Like, but it was just very. Yeah, because initially you're like, no, they're they're siblings. This, they're not they're- siblings. They're family why why are people shipping these two together when they're supposedly family yeah that's i don't think i ever had a this is gross reaction i was just like okay this is like because i well it's not like it was because i never they weren't ever really a focus of a story i was reading so it was just mentioned in passing so i never really fixated on it uh like i mostly I mostly read Harry Potter crossovers, so it was usually either them going to Hogwarts or just Sailor Moon going to Hogwarts or whatever. Uh, but like they would always be very lovey-dovey, and if the author didn't explicitly mention they were in a relationship, I was guess I was always just like they have a very good family relationship. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was just like looking back on it was just, I was just like Emma, you dumbass. <laughs> granted, I, mean, I w- granted, I was also the type of kid who covered her face when there was kissing scenes. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know how well I would have handled it if I figured out their relationship. Like, yeah. eh, like I covered my face for heterosexual kissing scenes, like as well as gay ones. So just, it just would have been like, oh no. It's understandable. You were a kid. You were innocent. It's a sweet little Emma. <laughs> so you brought up Hogwarts. So I got to ask your guys' opinion on how you guys feel about Hogwarts now, given uh, Miss, Miss, Miss Rowling being quite open about uh, her turfdom. That's another rest in piss. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunate like love the series and the series is at this point existing independently of jk rowling whether she likes it or not because the properties have been um i won't consume sorry eva like go ahead no it's fine i won't consume any new content like i won't go into any of the new games or movies like that Mm -hmm. she's put out but i may occasionally revisit the existing movies or books just because we already own them mm-hmm. but i've definitely i've definitely divorced myself from any respect i had from her for her because just she thinks way too highly of herself for the opinions that she has and for the things she has done uh and i am like i'm just so pissed off for like everything that she has put out into the world like outside of harry potter like some of the because i don't know if you guys have listened like looked into that uh transphobic bs that was one of her adult quote-unquote adult detective novels oh yes yes uh so it was a uh to feed into the rhetoric it was a man dressing as a woman's uh, to as part of his serial killer ploy. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about that and reading up some articles about that because it was very much so in her in her line of rhetoric of how how these people are just villains. The info about JK really was kind of sad, but it also is kind of upsetting in a different way just because you know she's never really going to learn and understand and connect the dots that maybe her bad experience being an assault survivor does not equal trans people are bad. And she's just gonna live in this bubble where people will shower her with praise for being so progressive and straightforward, and so she's never gonna really have to take a look at the larger world and sort of the implications that not only this, but all of her other weird info dumps that she's been giving about her universe and personal beliefs in general, like the sort of impact that those are going to have on all of these kids that grew up reading her stories and looking up to the characters in there. She has one of the most beloved fantasy series in the world, and just somehow just turns around and is like, no, these people can't exist. They can't love like that. They can't be like that. And she just denies access and is completely gatekeeping of A community she does. Well, first of all, gatekeeping is horrible. But second of Mm -hmm. all, she is gatekeeping a community that she doesn't belong to from entering her dumb fantasy world. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like... It wasn't like she was the beacon of diversity to begin with, but also to have that amount of influence with... um, being on her platform, having such a uh, successful industry, um, and having the effect and the influence on ch- young children and young minds, and also the like the grown the, the fans who have grown up with her. Yeah, I, 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 you said you nailed it with just feeling immeasurable disappointment, um, and it's mm-hmm. just it emphasizes again uh, that whether you like it or not, when you are. Uh, as popular and infamous now, I guess, um, you do have a responsibility. What, you, your actions, yeah, you have responsibility. Your actions have consequences, and everything that you do and say, you can't get away with like what you had maybe, what you maybe have got, would have gotten away with if you were a smaller known author. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't fly anymore. And so Mm-mm. it's just. <sighs> So disappointed. I I, did, I don't have the same nostalgia as maybe some of you because I didn't really grow up with Harry Potter. I got more into it um, during college, but even still, just admiring her for her works and just to see her completely like hate and yeah. dismiss yeah. the existence of these people, these women, is just incredibly disheartening. And I have, yeah. and the thing is, like, even when we were. Sorry, uh, Cassie, you want to go ahead? Uh, you can go first. Okay. I was just going to say, like, even when we were in college, like, things were starting to come apart with J.K. Rowling, because, uh, like, she was... Uh, Pottermore was a thing, and she was starting to post all this extended universe stuff, and it was coming to the mm-hmm. forefront just how bad she was with 
like interpreting other cultures because there was the skinwalker stuff and then people were thinking of starting to notice how everyone at Hogwarts was white even though not everyone in the UK is white um and then there was also oh by the way werewolves are a metaphor for the AIDS epidemic and where and Ramus Mm -hmm. was infected by a grown man climbing into his bedroom window what the hell yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. oh my god Nagini is supposed to be like some Korean woman too or something yeah, that came about like in the most recent Fantastic Beasts movie where it was revealed she's a cursed Korean woman uh, and eventually she just will eventually com- become a snake completely. And with that, she becomes Voldemort's gal. Yep. Because, you know, that doesn't have unfortunate <sighs> implications. Right. It is weird how she seems to want to, I guess, not claim, but incorporate all of these other cultures and peoples and beliefs that she really doesn't know anything about into her world. Like, it's okay to say, hey, I don't know enough about such and such a group to put out some representation of them, but if you are knowledgeable about that, you're welcome to it, or something like that. Do you... Do you think, like, because I grew up with Harry Potter, like, I remember that being just a huge part of me, or my, my, me childhood, my childhood, um, and I kind of wonder how much, like, social media has a play in it as well, because, I mean, obviously there would have been repercussions had she done more of this when it was first coming out, but now that we have this instant access that wasn't as much around... Like, back when, you know, the first few Harry Potter movies were coming, like, do you think Mm -hmm. it would have had the same repercussions or it would have been, like, how we're seeing a lot of trends now where we are digging up the past of, you know, influential people being like, you know, hey, you've done some really shitty stuff. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, do you think it would have been more like that? Like, at what point do we kind of have to, in a way, think social media for bringing out, like, hey, you're a bad person. Like, what the hell? Yeah, like I, th- well, I think the I think that's this is in a way is showing that she's always been like this, or mm-hmm. at the very least, is showing that she's always been susceptible to this form of thinking, and social media is bringing that to the forefront. But mm-hmm. I think that if this had come out uh, during the time of the movies, like if she had said stuff like this in an interview or something like that, I think there would have been backlash, but it would not have been as severe or uh, like as talked about as it is for happening in the modern day. And I think yeah. part of that, I think a part of that is less to do with social media and more to do with a lot of the detractors now are people who literally grew up with the Harry Potter series. So the, some of it is a lot more personal. Yeah. I'd like sure. a, I'd like to also point out that like when the movies and with the books releasing when they did, maybe like what was it? 2000s? Early 2000s? Late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Late 90s. Times were not nearly as progressive. So I'm pretty sure she could have gotten scot free away with what like her comments, her mm-hmm. turf comments mm-hmm. and the it like uh 
with her racism, everything, you know, under the sun, everything she's done. Um, and it, people, nobody would have blinked an eye, honestly. And I don't think there would have been backlash at all if she had just, um, if she, if she had said and been open about her views back then. I think it's just, we attribute it to the modern times and just how we have progressed, um, especially in our culture too. Um, it kind of stems from, I guess, a cancel culture where we are calling people out, uh, especially like J.K. Rowling, and we are we are more courageous to stand up for our communities and point out that bullshit nowadays. But I, even in 2010, I don't even know if there would have been as big of a backlash as there would have been like modern day. Yeah, well. It's not like the modern day, like acceptance and like push forward for queer rights has come out of nowhere. Cause there were still people with that attitude right. back then, but right. it is in part due to like that push from back then, as well as the expansion of social media and communications that has allowed for it to uh, increase as rapidly as it has into this year. Uh, so like you, yeah, like we've been, like we said, like it wouldn't have been anywhere near as dramatic as it has been. Uh, but she, she would have like definitely received criticism. And, but I don't know if it would have received any sort of mainstream attention, the criticism since gay rights was usually considered fringe stuff outside of pride events back then. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that. Because of that, if that were how it would have evolved happening earlier, it probably would have evolved to something of being called out now and it would have been a dramatic uh, cancellation in this time rather than back then. And it would have been a, a much different situation, but also, again, she would have probably maintained this this train of thought as well in present time if if it was something she said back then and then it's something she's called out for in uh present time 2020 2021 when have you jk rowling also doesn't seem to realize that she's allowed to look back on her work and say like wow that was a little weird especially when we're talking about nagini she said that she'd always envisioned Nagini being a Korean woman who ends up getting stuck as a snake so Voldemort can milk her later on. And for some reason, she's like, yes, this is, this is the info about myself I want to put out into the world. Rather than saying, huh, maybe that is weird that years down the line I decided Nagini was going to actually be a Korean woman. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter, I didn't really grow up with Harry Potter. I mean, it was there and I watched the movies, loved the movies. I didn't read any of the books though, until, uh, I heard that Snape was going to die. And then I just randomly picked up that sixth book and was like, well, how is Snape going to die? I need to find this out. Is he going to die or is he going to live? So that's like the only one that I've read. Um, he didn't even die in I, that book. I like how that's <laughs> yeah, the trigger for you to read the book. Is Snape going to die? <laughs> yep. Yep. That Mr. Was. Alan Rickman, no. <laughs> yep. I was like, no, I can't have, he can't go, he can't leave. And it just turned out it was the wrong book. So, uh, yeah. You witnessed the wrong <laughs> wizard death. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Can I? Um, Snape die? No, no. Snape kill. 
<laughs> yep. It really was. He took a life instead. Can I tangent away real quick to um, uh, some of the earliest uh, queer media, uh, like maybe not outright, like blatantly stated media that I've seen, but like when I, when I was a kid. But I, I just want to tangent to one specific in, uh, instance that stood out to me, and it still stands out to me today. And I just want to see if you guys like remember that episode too. Sure. <laughs> Um, did you guys watch Courage the Cowardly Dog? I loved Courage. Oh, Never God, watched it. be about the gay bunny and cat, isn't it? Um, do you guys remember the episode with Kitty and the bunny and the dog abusive boyfriend? Yes. Yes, right? I don't think I remember this. The kitty, the bunny, and the abusive dog of a boyfriend. Yes. Um, I'm going to look and see if I can find a picture here. This was a whole episode about how the bunny was trying to escape from her, like, it seemed to be an abusive situation, uh, just an unhealthy, toxic relationship. And so the kitty was trying to help the bunny escape from her boyfriend, uh, who's depicted as this, like, what is this, a Doberman uh, type dog, and they just... Courage helps them run away and they get on a train together and <laughs> they ride off into the sunset. And that's just stood out to me. And I don't know if they intended it specifically for them to be, you know, a, a lesbian couple at the end. They ran away like they ran away together. Or um, if it's just and, and two gals being gals. Some of these photos, it looks pretty 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 uh on point of like yes they were queer couple yeah i just <laughs> did something that was like huh that was very like <laughs> of a show that i did not expect it to come from and i i put it in the general chat here yeah especially from from courage the cowardly dog that was such a weird show but like i loved it as a kid it gave me the creeps but it was also great Turn the slab episode scared the pants off of me as a child. <laughs> Any episode that involved the grandpa like changing into some weird creature or other, I was just like, no, no. Just creep me out because that grandpa character, he was he was creepy all the time. Eustace? Yes. Yeah, it was that was a show. Um, so do you guys have any queer uh, favorites in film or TV, not necessarily um, that they're like the main protagonist or could be a side character or anything like that. Immediately forgets every gay character I've ever known. Let me. Think. Asami and Cora. I'll just I'll <laughs> yell it. I'll yell it from the rooftops. I'm so happy. Ah. Oh. Yeah, that was pretty exciting when that happened. Like, damn it, Nickelodeon for not being able to like. You know, I mean, we we got we got our like expanded upon relationship into the comics, but damn it, Nickelodeon for not being able to show it on TV, like cowards, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely a really good one. Um, yeah, I'll also it, say. Oh, sorry. Now that I've asked that question, all all queer characters have left my head. 
This is wonderful. Oh, I've got. Yeah. I'm rolling. Let's um, Ruby and Sapphire, Steven Universe. Healthy, like a realistic kind of depiction of uh, a couple. And it's obvious, like, yeah, they had their issues. They had their arguments. But, you know, they truly loved each other aside from all of their differences. And they make this wonderful, you know, new gem garnet. And I just love that. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I-, I could go I- on and- Okay, so like I gotta admit, I've Steven Universe is a is a great queer show that I have not watched yet. That's You're fair. not alone. I've only seen like two. <laughs> oh <episodes>. my god, <laughs> Catra and Adora. Yes, yes. Love I, haven't, that one. I haven't finished Shira, but yes, I am totally on board. Um, Doctor Who, it they are background characters. But this was maybe during David Tennant's time. Oh, my God. All the Whovians are going to come for me. I just know it. Are you talking about the lizard woman from the dawn of time? Yeah. Yeah. Just that, just the, the um, I don't want to say it was like forced or like it was a, a blatant insert, but it was just a very natural like depiction or like a natural introduction of this, you know, these two characters. And yeah, they were wives. Awesome. It was just so fluid and just so it wasn't forced. It wasn't there just for the queer baiting. I just, yes. Okay. So there's, there's a new, uh, uh, the new show sex education on, on Netflix that I absolutely love. And his best friend, Eric is the, the gay best friend, that they ha- show him finding finding love in relationships and love in himself, and he's a very well-adjusted gay character in the show. And I love his love that we see his familial relationships as as well as his relationships with other other uh, other men and and his and his friends. I just I love Eric on Sex Education so much. Netflix shows that. That reminds me, like, um, so, uh, Julian the Phantoms, that has a, a gay character. Um, uh, I don't know if it's count of barrier, a case of barrier gays cause he's dead, but he is a ghost. Mm-hmm. But he, he's fun. Like he's in the band of the main characters. Uh, oh, sure. So just because I couldn't remember any, like I googled gay characters to jog my memory, and God, do you guys remember Glee? Yes. Yep. Glee. Like it just it came up in the search, and I just got so tired immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rip, rip, Naya Rivera. Oh my God, I'm so sad. Oh, Naya. That that was a show. Do you guys remember? So like this one isn't necessarily a positive one. Uh, but it was super queer baby. Uh, 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 Teen Wolf. How was the oh Teen one? Wolf? The- I didn't watch Teen Steric. Wolf. God, I, I want to burn that from memory. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like you don't know how intentional it was at the start, but they definitely played into it. The farther oh on my it God. went, yeah. It was. It was just like, will he? Will they? Won't they? And like the the actors themselves were very much so ad- advertising it, baiting it hardcore. Basically, the show wasn't doing so well at the start, and the writers were worried that it was going to get cancelled, but 
While they were concerned about this, they also noticed that there was a huge queer fan base rallying around, I think it was Styles and Derek. And so they decided to heavily play that up in promotions. I think there was even one infamous clip out there where they were trying to encourage people to like watch the show or share it or something like that with the two actors on a boat talking about how they were on a ship and being all jokey-jokey and in the know about that. And to their credit, this did work. I think Teen Wolf got like 40 seasons or something after that. And the reward for all of these young queer folk that had helped keep it going was that these two characters never interacted with each other until, like, the very end of each season, I believe. And the writers then very publicly disavowed any idea that their poor, precious, heterosexual boys could ever have those gay thoughts. And I guess this was kind of just, like, the... Well, one of the first great modern queer-baiting incidents that really caught everybody off guard, because that was before it was an idea that was commonly thrown around as something that was happening. And all these young kids had really earnestly believed that if they just helped Teen Wolf out, they would get that queer gay representation they'd been hoping for. Want to know something really stupid that I... Like, the only reason I got into Teen Wolf. Go ahead. So, there is a voice actor that I was really obsessed with at this time. <laughs> really good actor. Hilarious. Really talented. In the show, for like a short time. And so I was like, oh my god, he's going to be on the show called Teen Wolf. And so that's why I got into Teen Wolf, was because of a stupid voice actor. Sorry, he's not stupid. I shouldn't do that, because his fans will come for me, because they'll know. But like, <laughs> I was a... Because of a, of a dang voice actor that I was like, oh my god, he's so Because of a voice actor. He's on. <laughs> and then I fell in love with the show, and I'm like, no! And now I hate it. <laughs> Cassie, we're all judging you. I'm judging myself, so... <laughs> Can't hate me more we're, than I already hate myself. Were you, were you a steric shipper? No. <laughs> Randy, oh, please. She had standards. <laughs> I shipped no one. I was like, mm, just love you all at the time. I was never big into shipping, though, so I I just watched like, it. Do you guys ship characters ever, or have you ever shipped characters together? Yes. Do you even have to ask? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everybody does it. Yeah, it's true. I'll be honest. I don't know when I started quote-unquote shipping, because that's an internet term, and I think we've all, at some point, looked at a pair of characters and were just like, yeah, they should kiss. But that was definitely way before the internet gave it that term. I don't. We know, Cassie. <laughs> I mean, we just had that discussion, but I just don't. It's I, but it's more of, like, people bug me, and people just, like, if I discuss it with people, then I, either, like, it's a weird chip, if I did, or, like, it gets too popular, and then people just ruin it. 
ruin the show for me. So I just do it up. Like, I don't ship because I don't want something ruined. If that makes sense. Very yeah, good. oddly, like I can't, I can't do it for like anything live action with actual people. Yeah, but like cartoons and stuff, super easy, easy to like form ships. But like when it's actually people, I'm like, no, but those are just actors. Like they have their, fe- they have feelings, and they probably aren't like that, you know. So I'm like, I just can't actual live action movies or TV. I'm just like, but comics, cartoons, all that kind of stuff, super easy. Yeah. But anyways, back into the uh, uh, the queer characters and stuff that you that you love. Can I can I hit you guys with one? And I just found this out uh, scrolling through mm-hmm. this, and oh my god, I I love this. Like this is really fantastic. <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants okay. is ace. SpongeBob's ace. The creator said that. Yeah, clarify like, like stated twice. That is very incredibly cool. Yeah, and I did not I, know that. I assume it's based off the fact that spon- actual sponges are like reproduced asexually, but like yeah. SpongeBob has pair like two parents, so presumably like orientation-wise, the show like the show would not consider asexuality requisite for sponges. So like it's a deliberate mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, we have some representation. So I think that is just one. I didn't know that. Two. That's 1999. That's wild. <laughs> and he's one of the most renowned, and well-known, recognizable characters of our generation, the previous and future generations. Because I'm still pretty sure they're going strong with that TV show too. Oh heck yeah, they are. Yeah, it's still ongoing. Movies are still being made. SpongeBob is still relevant. Yeah. So there we go. Main character. That's also Ace. That's awesome. You know, I think I think that's so incredibly cool. Um, also, Paradox yeah. from Steven Universe. Yep. The voice Ace. actress stated that she considers her Ace. Ace and Arrow, which I think is awesome. We need good representation. Steven Universe yeah. always coming up with awesome representation. Love it. Also... The siren from Borderlands 2. Yeah! Oh. I've never played Borderlands. No I'm idea. trying to remember who that is. <laughs> I don't it's remember like, her name, which is why I called so her the siren. Long. Maya? But, um... Oh! Okay, okay, okay. I remember who now. Let's talk about, like, gender. Um, like, non-binary, mm-hmm. you know. Um, gender fluid. Um, has anybody seen Kipo? Yes. Uh, I keep meaning to. I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm blanking real quick. Um, uh, let me let me post a picture that use they them pronouns. Oh yeah. There you go. There's Asher. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Asher was adorable. I thought Kipo did a really good job. Yes. With um, their representation. And for my for my Shira watching fellows mm-hmm. out there, double trouble. Yeah, I think I think that gender is more of something that you'll find discussed more in newer media rather than older stuff. It was mostly focused on sexuality rather than gender. But I think that what they've come out with. Um, 
has been really good. Like Asher and who did you just say? Double Trouble. Double Trouble. And there's so many Steven Universe characters out there too. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Like Steven Universe has done great with their representation. It's awesome. If you haven't seen Steven Universe, go watch it. I say it like I've seen it, but like I've, I've, I've witnessed it (laughs) on conversations and interviews and stuff like that. And, actually just reading into like the characters themselves. God help us if the first people to discover our podcast are the Steven Universe criticals. What are some tropes that you guys don't like? And what are some tropes that you guys don't mind or like? Uh, the ignoring boundaries gay. I hate that one. That also, yeah. Yeah, I think that's very problematic and very much so pushes into the rhetoric that being gay is bad. Yeah, that kind of circles back to the uh, what I added, what I said about the queer coding applied to villainous characters earlier. Because like queer coding isn't always used for queer baiting; it's sometimes used to uh, signify a character that we're meant to think of as a buffoon or think of as a villain. Which is why, like, it's not necessarily the explicit reason why they chose it, but Ursula was based off a drag queen, so that's why she yep. is, uh, like, so, like, drawn. Flamboyant? People, flamboyant. That's a great word for it. Or that's why so many male villains are effeminate, or just any number of traits that the queer... Like, that's why so many queer people are drawn to the villainous characters, is because we see traits of ourselves in them because they were deliberately put there. Mm-hmm. Yep. A trope that I I like and dislike would be the gay best friend trope. Because mm. some shows do it well, some shows do it really poorly. Kurt Hummel. Like Eric from Sex Education. I thought they did that one really well. <laughs> There's actually a movie called Gay Best Friend that's sort of, like, addressing and attacking this trope. Like, which, I've never watched the full thing, but, like, it's kind of funny. Hmm, I think I've heard of that. Don't they call it GBF? Yes. Yeah, the gay best friend can go either way, depending on if their character trait is I'm gay, or if they've got more going on. But yeah, like it's sort of just like addressing that trope of treating people as accessories, uh, which like that's a like that's basically what the gay best friend trope boils down to is uh, it treats the gay character as less of a person and more as an accessory for the tip- more oftentimes straight main character. Yes. Um, definitely the bury, 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 bury your gaze trope. That's, that's gotta, that's yeah. gotta go. That's real bad. I'm glad that trope is disappearing, like, in modern day, and that writers and directors and producers and, you know, uh, people who are making the media are very, very aware of the trope and also recognize the backlash of what would happen mm-hmm. if they had implemented the trope into their um media so i i yeah yes castiel still went to super hell this is true (laughs) this is true then again i'm not accusing the supernatural team of being good writers 
<laughs> how many how many seasons did it go on for? Like 15? too many. Fifteen too many then. <laughs> how about the bi erasing bisexual? Oh, that that could just fall under the umbrella of like. I, I, I guess, yeah, there's bi erasure, but like also like. I want to say ace erasure. There's a lot of erasure, but if we're going to specifically yeah, focus is. on bi erasure, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I guess I just want to clarify. When you say bi erasure, like, are you specifically talking about how a character will say, I'm gay now, or how about how they don't like labels? I guess it could be either or. It depends on how it's portrayed in the media. Yeah. Yeah, how you portray those tropes is really, really telling of how how well done it is handled. How well it's handled. And bioreasure is still pretty predominant in some queer communities um, where mm -hmm. oh, yeah. you're either gay or you're not. <laughs> Which, yeah. Yeah, and that's also something that leads to a lot of, like, trans exclusion as well. Yep. It's like, oh, but you're, uh, you're heterosexual. Yes, but I'm trans, but you're heterosexual. That's just like, fuck off. Mm -hmm. And I just want to clarify, like, I am, uh, I'm assigned female at birth. My gender is meh. I was just voicing an example. But, uh. Yes, of course. Like, just for any, just to clarify for any people who might actually listen to this. Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could name a trope aside from uh, the GBF, so long as it's handled correctly, that I'm like, yeah, that's okay. It's, it's doing well. Yeah, honestly, I think just tropes in general are kind of bad in most cases well at least the ones associated with gay characters like because thing is the things that happen frequently enough with queer characters that the things with queer characters that happen enough to be codified as tropes like are usually mm -hmm. the negative things yeah and i was gonna throw in into the same uh ring of negativity the uh the trope where i don't know if there's a specific name for it uh, at least I don't remember it off the top of my head, but where they use gender and sexuality as a joke or just as a tool to... Yeah, queerness is a joke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or something that's like kind of like a gag within the show. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, I'm not actually like that in the end. Um, and they switch, yep. yeah. they revert back to a heteronor like heteronormativity. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't like seeing that either. Because it's not a joke. It is just straight up not a joke. Yeah, it just falls back into, you know, using queerness for for an easy laugh. Yep. And it is oftentimes very derogatory. Yep. I'm going to make another tangent here because I want to talk about this real quick. Have you guys seen Love, Simon? Mm -hmm. No. No. The movie, yes, I haven't seen Love, Victor. Yes, Love, Simon, and Love, Victor. We're 
I just got done watching Love, Victor. We're waiting for season two to come out, but that the mm-hmm. production was postponed because that's when like COVID hit. Um, mm-hmm. But Love, Simon, that is... I'm so happy it exists, I guess. <laughs> um, just because <laughs> it's finally a... Happy? Uh, it's a happy story that has a happy ending, and it's where... I didn't, I, no, all the words left me. That's what I was saying. Okay. So, yeah. It's not particularly cheesy, but it's got... Even if it's so idealistic and maybe unrealistic um, in some respects, mm-hmm. but, like, he gets his friends back. He finally gets, you know, the high school love um, that he's been looking for and everything works out for him in the end, despite, you know, everything that had occurred. And even, yeah, I'm just happy that there is, that we finally get that representation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I was disappointed though, that Disney decided to move love Victor from their Disney plus platform onto Hulu. Yeah. However, I don't know the reasoning for that. I really, is it just a, rights issue or like a platform streaming agreement the cynical part of me says that they want to quietly kill it that's what i was about to say it's yeah. disney they don't and want it on their it's platform. openly queer yeah and for disney that's pushing it but wasn't raya and the last Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah, Raya and the Last Dragon. Wasn't there a um, LGBTQ character in that as well? Not that I've that's heard a- of. But that's not like the theme of the story, though. That's true. But yeah. What do you guys think? Should we end it there? Does anybody have any other topics they want to talk about revolving around film and TV? I just like the celebration of all of these um you know lgbtq character lgbtq plus characters in modern media and i just want to scream their names from the heavens because i'm I'm just so excited and i'm just so happy that you know we are getting more representation more diversity um and good Mm -hmm. representation and diversity and it's also a progression um for our culture and also they're good influences for children um especially if they're coming from uh, a cartoon series um where the speaking main demographic is young kids go ahead emma speaking of coming from a cartoon series did you see the uh blues clues pride song <gasps> no yes. what ah! blues yeah. clues has a pride song yeah, yeah it just came out like last week oh my god can you link it yeah let me grab the link one sec I love the Blues Clues as a kid, dude. Oh my gosh. I play it all the time. I still, like, in my toddler classroom, I play Blues Clues all the time. Here's More for myself. The my favorite character was Magenta. Fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to well mail. Now it's email, <laughs> but, you know, they want to update it. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Blues Clues! Yeah, buddy! Way to fucking go! Do you enjoy it, Eva? I did. I'll watch the rest later, but I'm just... Good job! Hell yeah! That was brilliant. (laughs) 
And it's going to be stuck in my head for days now. So on that note, go Blues Clues for your great representation song. This is a proud and welcoming community. And in the comments or on socials, let us know of any characters you love or hate for their good or bad representation. And don't forget, change the world by being yourself. You are loved and you do belong. <laughs>